Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, well, we have been going through the book of Acts. Hopefully, you guys have been enjoying this series. You know that scripture where it says all of scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training, all of it? Like, I think Acts of any book is going to do that for you. All, all of the words, it's going to hit you in the heart because we're, we're looking here at the first Christian church, the people that actually spent time with Jesus when he was alive on this earth. And then they saw it, and now they're carrying his mission. And they're doing it imperfectly, but they're doing it with great boldness. And we're seeing the impact that it's having on on not only building the church, but on the culture around them. And so we're going to continue on today. We're going to be in Acts 6 and 7. If you have a Bible, I would get it out today. Um, In six, we're not going to read necessarily the verses, but I'm going to highlight some things, so it might be helpful to have your Bible in front of you, either on your app or, or, you know, good old-fashioned paper. (laughs) And today, what I am praying is that a boldness would fall in this room, that the Holy Spirit would come and use this story. We're going to look at the first Christian martyr outside of Jesus himself, We're going to look at the story of St. Stephen, and it might be a familiar one to you, but I pray that the boldness of Stephen would be deposited in our hearts today, because this, this guy was so, so bold in proclaiming the truth of the gospel and just truth in general, and we're going to see the spiritual impact that that had, and I think One of the things that I love, as Dave has been taking us through this, I love that he's titled this series Unstoppable because I think we have to keep in mind this upside-down kingdom that what looks like a barrier, what looks like something is being stopped. I mean, death on a cross doesn't exactly look like winning, but what, what that is in the spiritual realm is actually exponential victory. That is, the enemy comes at us and tries to put these barriers and these barricades and even death itself, you know, the the ultimate lack of physical safety, what happens in the spiritual realm as a result of that is, is unexplainable, that there is exponential growth spiritually. And so that really is the upside down kingdom, that what looks like defeat is actually victory. And so as we read through these stories of the early church, you know, amazing things are happening, but great opposition is also coming at them. And we'll see that in the story today of Stephen. One of the things I think God brought me back to this verse as he was beginning to form his nation. So the old covenant, as he attaches himself to the nation of Israel and tells these people, people, that you will be my people, you will bear my name, bear my image. We see this verse that I think can describe the early church as well. There's so many parallels between the two stories, and it's this. It's in Exodus 1.12. It says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. 
So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. So if you're familiar with the story of the Israelite nation and God leading them out of slavery, it's like the more they put these barricades, the more they tried to oppress them and stop them, the more they increased. That's what the upside down kingdom is. And the same can be said of this early church. It's like the more these people tried to stop them, mostly the religious elites, the more they tried to stop the message of the gospel, the more it increased. So what once was physical in the old covenant, you know, population, it's now spiritual in the new covenant. That people, the kingdom is expanding and it's, it's, God is reclaiming the whole world. So let's go to chapter 6. We're going to start here um, to, to kind of bring you up to speed in the story, so, or, or recap, I should say. Acts starts with the ascension of Jesus. So the Gospels bring us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then Jesus, after he uh, resurrected, he was on the earth. He appeared to people for about 40 days, and then he actually ascended into heaven, and his followers saw that. And he gave them one instruction. He says, stay in Jerusalem. They were all in Jerusalem for Passover, the Jews from every nation. He tells them to stay there. And then we see in Acts 2, the, the crucial part of the new covenant, God pours out his Holy Spirit. And that is the reclaiming of the nations, what happened at Babel. If you remember that story, the, the people were trying to build a tall tower in their you know, to give themselves the glory. God comes down, he scatters them and confuses their language. That's when he attaches himself to just Israel. So Pentecost is reclaiming all that. He's reclaiming the nations. He's bringing them back together. This covenant is now for the whole world. And then we go forward. They're still in Jerusalem. All these Jews, they're spreading the gospel. Signs and wonders are happening. Some of them are even being arrested because the religious elites are so threatened. The church is growing. If you remember some of those numbers after they're preaching the gospel, there's thousands of people coming to know Christ and putting their trust in him. And now we're at a point where the church is, is growing, is getting big. And how many of you know as you grow and get more people, things get a little bit more complicated? And so we need some administrators. Where's all my administrative giftings at? Yes, this chapter is for you. Chapter 6, Stephen is an administrator. Okay, it's like we need to recognize the tech team every week because they only get recognized when something goes wrong. That's like, that's, yeah, that's the Stephen. That's the Stephen in this story. You know, all the people that are doing the grunt work, the hard things behind the scene, the, the leaders were saying, we're going to still devote ourselves to spreading the gospel, to prayer, to teaching, but we need some people to kind of run the show. They're distributing food to the poor. Some of them are getting left out. You know, they just need some systems. Oh, I, feel, I feel seen in this moment, right? <laughs> this is why I've connected with, with Stephen here. Okay, so Stephen is one of these people that is, he's going to be a deacon. He's going to be called to the early church to help do some admin work. Um, and there's, there's some great descriptors. And, and Stephen's also doing the ministry work as well. He's preaching the gospel. Signs and wonders are following him. And I want to highlight these descriptors of Stephen that chapter 6 gives us. And if you have your Bible open, follow along with me here. So in verse 3, it says that Stephen is full of the spirit and wisdom. 
Okay, in verse 5, it says that Stephen is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he's full of God's grace and power. Are you seeing a theme here? In verse 10, it says that Stephen spoke by wisdom of the Spirit. And then in verse 15, it says his face was bright like an angel, which would have taken the Jewish readers back to their, you know, one of their ultimate heroes, Moses, when, when God was leading his people out of slavery and into the promised land. A, a man named Moses was their leader, and he would go meet with God, and, and upon returning from the mountain, his face would be glowing. And so that's, that's what they're trying to do get us to think about here that Stephen's face was bright like an angel. It's, it's a sign of being in God's presence. So these descriptors of Stephen, you know, as a follower of Jesus, any one of us would love to have one of these descriptors said about us. But the point is that it's, it's really not, this really has nothing to do with Stephen. It's just an ordinary guy serving an extraordinary God and that he has given his allegiance, his life, to following the Lord. He has given his obedience to following Jesus and this new covenant, this new church. And so these are the natural descriptors of someone that has given their life to Jesus and has been filled with his spirit. It's the very presence of God. If you remember in Acts 4, Peter, after Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel, it said one of the things that the religious leaders were so offended by is that the, these, these men were just ordinary, unschooled men. Like that was just such a threat to them. And so the same can be said of Stephen, that he's not this like extraordinary, you know, well-educated, above the line and everything political and, relig you know, in the religious system and the education system, just an ordinary, unschooled man serving an extraordinary God. And that should give us all hope because that can be said of all of us in this room, that God can use our life in extraordinary ways when we are submitted to him. And it, it really brings us back to Pentecost. Like what's the key ingredient that's listed in most of these verses? It's the Holy Spirit. That he's not doing any of this on his own or in his own strength or in his own ingenuity. It's the Holy Spirit working through him. Okay, those descriptors of Stephen are awesome. I pray they all come on us as we serve and follow Jesus in our lifetime. Let's look at the descriptors of the opposition in this chapter. So the people opposing this gospel message, let's, let's remember where we're at in, in the culture we're at in this time period. So you have the Roman Empire in the background of this culture. The Roman Empire is the geopolitical force. They are evil. I mean, it's an evil dictatorship. It would not have been fun to live in this culture. It's an honor-shame culture. Most people were born into shame. Very, very few had honor. Um, and then, so you have the Roman rule in the backdrop, and then you have the religious elite. So this, this Jewish population, they would be governed by, and there's many things in the Bible that they're called, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, um, the high priest. So all of them kind of fit into this religious elite category. 
and they're working with Rome. You know, both groups are trying to keep their own power. And then you have just kind of your ordinary citizens where, where Stephen would fall. And they're under the oppression of both groups. Okay, does that make sense? And so the people that really are oppressing this gospel message is this middle group of religious people. Because if you have a new message, a new covenant, that threatens my power. Like, I, I don't have any power anymore. I don't have any power over you with this new Jesus guy because he came to set the captives free. Like, how am I going to have my power, my standing, if this new covenant goes forward? And so those are the people that are coming at Stephen and opposing him. And listen to the descriptors that they, they say about the opposition. Verse 9, it says they are argumentative. Okay, in verse 10, they could not stand against Stephen's wisdom. Verse 11, secretly persuasive and deceptive. In verse 12, they stirred the people to anger. And in verse 13, they produced false witness. Okay, if you want to see the two kingdoms and some descriptions about the unseen realm, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness... I think these are great descriptors to start to filter your mind as you look out into the world. And I'm not, I'm, I'm talking the world, you know, culturally, government, all that, but even just in your own life, you know, as you're facing circumstances in your home life, in your family life, in your work life, it's like, God, help me to see biblically. Am I looking at something that is argumentative? something that can't stand against wisdom and logic, something that is secretly persuasive and deceptive. Have we seen any of that in our culture lately? And then what does secret persuasion and deception do? It stirs people to anger. Anger in and of itself is, is not a bad thing. God made our emotions. There is a place for anger. But when it's anger because of lies... You see what I'm saying? That's the kingdom of darkness and producing false witness. The father of lies. And this is where we have to see this upside down kingdom as we look at the descriptors. The kingdom of God is always on the offensive. And you might turn on your news in the evening and watch for 30 minutes and may not feel like that at all. Like, God, are we really on the offensive? Are we winning? But we have to see that the kingdom of God is always on the offensive. When Peter gets a revelation in the Gospels of who Jesus is, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus responds, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I think a lot of times we think that those gates are for the church, you know, that we're behind the gates, like, ah. Just keep everything out. Just keep us safe. Those gates are not our gates. Those are the gates of hell. And the church, no, no force is going to withstand. Sorry, let me, let me go back. No gate is going to withstand the force of God. So those gates are actually hell's gates. The church is on the offensive, and we win every time. We win in the end. We know where this story is going. 
And so that's, that's the thing. As we're looking out and building our worldview and seeing the descriptors, you know, we saw the descriptors of Stephen, which are the descriptors of the kingdom of God, the descriptors of evil, the kingdom of darkness. We have to see those from a place of victory and on the offensive. When I was, I've mentioned several times that I love the game of basketball. My dad was a high school basketball coach, so I grew up in a basketball gym. And when I moved, uh, I was nine years old, I moved to Iowa. And in Iowa at that time, girls still played six-on-six basketball. Is anyone familiar with this? Yeah, a little bit? Okay, one person. Um, A a horrendous game. Okay, you play, so it's six-on-six, three people play offense, and three people play defense, and that's all you play. So if you know the game of basketball, you know, you're up and down the court. You, you go from offense to defense. There's fast breaks. You know, it's so exciting and fast-paced. Well, six-on-six six basketball is the exact opposite of that. And so everyone wants to play offense because, that, like I said, that's all you played. If you played defense, sometimes you would never touch the ball. So if the ball was on the other end where your offensive players were playing and you're on defense, you would just kind of wait until the ball came back to your end, and then you would play defense, and maybe you would touch the ball, maybe you'd get a rebound, maybe you'd get a steal, and if you did, you'd dribble it up to half court, and then you'd toss it over to your offensive player. I've I've put some of you to sleep even just describing this. (laughs) Horrible game. But I feel like sometimes as the church, we feel like that defensive player, like we're just kind of like, Ah, just wait my turn, you know, maybe something will come down here, maybe I'll get a little, you know, steal or rebound or, and we're just bored. And we have to see that we are always on the offensive. And that's what gives us the boldness that we're going to see in this next chapter that Stephen rises up in, that we can take our stand and we can be bold with God's truth. No matter what is coming at us, culturally, relationally, whatever it is. So let's continue on in chapter 7. Like I said, these people are producing, these, these op- the opposition to Stephen, they're producing false witness. At the end of chapter 6, they basically just make up lies about Stephen. They're, they're, they don't know what else to do. They want to shut this guy up. And they just start spouting lies that he, he's against Moses, he's against God's temple. You know, that stirs the people to anger even more. And so then we see in Acts 7 verse 1, Stephen is right in front of the high priest. And the high priest asks him, are these charges true? And I want you to put yourself in Stephen's shoes right now. The high priest like I said, this religious elite would have represented kind of the highest authority in the, in the Jewish culture. With the Jewish citizens, it, it kind of would have been like standing in front of the Supreme Court. I mean, this would have been like really, really intimidating as Stephen is standing in front of this high priest and the high priest is just staring him down. Are these charges true? And it would have been easy for Stephen to just go silent or to ask maybe for counsel, you know, ask for a lawyer, or maybe backpedal a little bit. Um, You know, any one of those probably would have been natural reactions to someone as intimidating 
as the high priest standing in front of you asking if these charges are true. But Stephen, boldness is going to fall, and I want us to see he's actually living and answered prayers in this moment before he opens his mouth. I want to take us back to Luke 12, 11 through 12. These are the words of Jesus. He's telling his disciples, he says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And we're going to see that's exactly what's going to happen, that the Holy Spirit is going to take over to Stephen's surrendered life. And then back to Acts 4, as, as Peter and John are getting out of prison, they've been arrested for preaching the gospel. They get released because they don't really have anything to keep them there. And what do they pray for? It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's Acts 4.29. And so Stephen is going to stand here living in the fruit of those prayers, people that have gone before him and spoken these things, Jesus himself saying, don't worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And Stephen basically releases into a sermon. You know, talk about like, whoa. He, he looks right at this high priest and he is going to give the history of Israel. And Stephen knows that this very well could be his last words. He saw how this ended for his Savior. You know, it, it didn't end well physically. He, he has seen his, his brothers get arrested just days prior to this. So he knows the risk he is taking, that this might not go well for me. But I see St not only Stephen's boldness, but his love to preach the truth. And that is exactly what he's going to do. He's going to launch into the sermon. He's going to give the history of the nation of Israel to the very people that should have known it the best, to the leaders that should have seen Jesus first for who he was because they had the most access to the scriptures. And so Stephen just starts with the story of Israel. He starts with Abraham how God called this one man to, to be unto himself, that he would form a great nation out of. And he goes through the book of Genesis, and he gets to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, like we talked about earlier, God attaching himself to the nation of Israel and leading them out of slavery. And so it's just this incredible act of boldness and love to say, I, I don't care, you know, what can man do to me? I don't really care. I am just going to speak the truth. And that's exactly what he does. And I want to go to a verse in Acts 7 that I think is, is so telling, and it, it really is an indictment on Stephen's audience. And it's an indictment on them, but it's also a call to repentance. That's where the love comes in. So in Acts 7, 41 through 42, it says, this is Stephen talking Again, he's talking about the nation of Israel. He says, that was the time they had made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands have made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. And so 
Stephen is reminding them of a time when they were on their way to the promised land, the nation of Israel, and Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, and the people are idle, and they're getting restless, and in their idleness, they create an idol. We, we too do that all the time. And they create a golden calf and out, of, out of their jewelry, and they worship it. And by the end, they're saying, this is our God. This is the one who delivered us out of Egypt. And so Stephen is reminding his, his hearers of this story and saying, you guys are doing the very same thing, that you have created an idol out of your power, out of your status, out of base, pretty much a false religion. You are serving a false God. And remember what happened in the desert. God gave them over to themselves. And that will happen to you if you don't repent. And in that moment, who is in the audience? Saul. I think this is just so, so powerful that Saul is one of the hearers and Saul will later become Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. You know, if you're familiar with the New Testament, most people think Paul is like the Christian of all Christians. But even though this isn't Saul's moment of salvation, he's still listening to these words. And he, he almost repeats the same thing years later when Paul writes Roman, Romans. So in Acts, remember it says, Paul, uh, Stephen's reminding they brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in what, of what their hands had made, and God turned them over to themselves. Romans 1, 23 through 25, years later, Paul basically says the same thing. It says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So even though that moment with Stephen, Saul didn't come to the knowledge of Christ, he later did. And he, he basically repeats Stephen's words. Like, hey, human heart, you need Jesus. Every, every human heart. And if you're not following Jesus, you're following an idol, either one that you've made or someone else has made, because we all worship something, and we all image something. And so if, if you don't turn and follow the one true God, basically God's wrath comes upon you, and what does that look like? It is just giving you over to yourself. And that's a scary position to be in. And that, that's the gravity that Stephen I, there's just not words to describe his boldness and love in this moment. That I don't care what you do to me. I'm, I'm going to use my last breath, most likely. Spoiler alert, he does get martyred in this story. I'm going to use my last breath. I'm going to go down preaching truth. And if it helps to bring one person to repentance, glory be to God. Stephen later goes on as we go along in Acts 7, 51 through 52. It says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit, 
Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So it's like his boldness just keeps increasing. And I think for, for this moment in time, if we can capture Stephen's boldness in a way, like sometimes we, we boil the Christian life down to just being nice. <laughs> Stephen's not being very nice in this moment. But it's, it's for the sake of truth. It's for the sake of his audience. Your goal as a follower of Christ is not to just be a nice person. Because niceness gets boiled down to just not offending anyone. I mean, really, if you think about your daily niceties, it just boils down to like, okay, you do you, I'll do me. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And then before you know it, you're not even speaking truth. Like, truth just kind of goes out the window so we don't offend anyone. Stephen is being wholeheartedly offensive in this moment. Like, he is offending his audience with good intention. But what's the motivator? It's not to stir the people to anger. It's not to secretly deceive and lie and to produce false witness. It's so that truth is heard. Like that's, that is where the church has to be. That is the boldness we have to live in and speak, speak with, right? It, that boldness. Stephen's like, you keep killing us. You've killed all the prophets. You even kill the Savior. But if you only knew what victory that is really bringing us, bring it on. You know, that, that really is what he's saying. You think that you're doing the ultimate door shut, locked, throw away the key, but you have no ideas in the spiritual realm, the doors that are being opened. Acts 7, 54 through 55, here's the response of the opposition. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I don't really know what that means. But it sounds pretty scary. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I love this verse. Where does the Bible say Jesus usually is? Seated at the right hand of the Father. This verse it says he is standing at the right. I mean, I can just picture him like Stephen sees Jesus standing probably applauding him, like, that is my son. That's my boy. Go, Stephen. You've got this. What can man do to you? And then it goes on. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul was there, giving approval to his death. So I, this is a beautiful picture of one probably imaging Jesus to the fullest. I mean, those words are, are pretty much what Jesus says. He's dying on a cross. Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If you remember, as Jesus is dying, he's saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. 
So now let's use our spiritual eyes, what's happening in the spiritual realm as Stephen is dying and being martyred. They're literally throwing stones at him. I mean, what an awful way to die. But he's, he's crying out, God, forgive them. What that releases in the spiritual realm is forgiveness, and who is right there at the feet is Saul. Saul is going to be a benefactor of the spiritual gift of forgiveness. We'll see that in, in the next time we are in Acts next weekend. It's going to be awesome. But isn't that amazing that as Stephen is being a faithful, obedient servant, this is what God has called him to in his life, how to speak truth and be bold, that Saul, who will become Paul and write most of the New Testament, is a benefactor of that forgiveness being released. And so I think for us, you know, we hopefully, hopefully the call on our life is not to face martyrdom. We don't have to seek that. I mean, it, it could be. I don't know. But it's a call to something. We do have a call to be bold. And, and that might look in several different ways for you. A bold act might be at a dinner table with a bunch of unbelievers saying, hey, let's pray for our meal. Let's honor God in this moment. It could be as simple as that. But that call is on all of our lives to, to proclaim truth and to proclaim it boldly and to say there is no one else that I answer to above Jesus Christ himself. So regardless of the consequences, truth spoken is truth heard. So that's an obvious statement, but think about that. Truth spoken is truth heard. How will they hear if there is no messenger? How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of the gospel. So truth spoken is truth heard. Truth spoken brings the applause of heaven. And truth heard stifles the plans of the enemy. So Stephen is speaking truth. He is gaining the applause of heaven. Jesus is standing, applauding him, cheering him on. I would imagine the cloud of witnesses at the book of Hebrews. They're standing, cheering him on. And truth heard stifles the plans of the enemy. There are people in that audience that heard Stephen's words, you know, Saul becoming Paul, the main one that we can see in Scripture, but I'm sure there were others, that the the plans of the enemy were stifled because they heard truth. One of the things, Jake, I'm going to back you up a slide. I forgot to, to say this, but I think it's really important as we end here, as we look at these, these filters of the two kingdoms and the boldness that we can operate in and just seeing the nature of the kingdom of God. And that is that the kingdom of God leads with proclamation. Like that, that is how the kingdom of God advances and the kingdom of darkness leads with persecution. So you have, you have to start seeing those two things in our world. Like, is this proclamation of the good news, is this agenda or this whatever? I mean, I could could do a long list. Is it because of the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ? Is that the heartbeat 
behind this, this person, this relationship, this situation? Or is it actually persecution? And, and what stirs that persecution? It's deception. It's bearing false witness. It's stirring people to unrighteous anger. Those are two helpful filters to, to view the world. And as the kingdom of darkness leads with persecution, like I said, eventually it just collapses in on itself. It's like the snake will always just eat its own tail. There, that's actually a promise. I wish I would have written the verse down because it's just now coming to me. But there's a verse in Revelation. You can Google it later. That, that evil just collapses in on itself. That it, because everything comes to light, right? And so as we, that's why we can see that we really are on the offensive. Everything will always come to light. And so we can be the victors in our cultural moment. We were made for such a time as this to speak truth and to speak it boldly and to change the environment around us. Chapter 8, we're going to end on this verse. Stephen has just been killed. It says, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so again, what looks like defeat the scattering is not defeat. That's how God is going to reclaim the nations. They're all in Jerusalem. All these Jews have homes in other countries, so the main people stay in Jerusalem and everyone else scatters and they spread the gospel. See how that works? Okay, but th this is hard because a lot of times we don't see this with our natural eyes and it doesn't feel like that. But we have to rest on these promises of Scripture that we win. We're on the offensive team all the time. We don't play defense. Amen. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being our leader. God, thank you that you have given us examples like Stephen that we too can learn from. We can model our lives after these fruit of the Spirit that you describe Stephen having. God, that we too can be filled with the Holy Spirit to, to speak in all boldness. And God, I just break off any sense of striving right now that, that we have to go out and figure this out and do this in our own strength. But God, we just need to stay connected to you. You say that we, we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. So God, keep us relational. Keep us tethered to your heart. God, prompt us when, we're, when we get off path and we're just trying to do this life in our own strength and to do Christian service just by our own ingenuity. God, we need the Holy Spirit. So God, would you come fill us with your spirit anew, just a, a fresh indwelling of your spirit right now. And God, may we go out from this place and be your people, be your church, and be bold. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.